Tuesday is New Year's Day. So if you are like many of us, you will spend some time over the next couple of days doing some self-evaluation. How have you done this year physically and financially and relationally and spiritually? And, And where have you done maybe not quite so well? And what changes do you need to make in the coming year? And what goals will you set to stimulate yourself to to spiritual growth and personal transformation. Many of us, as we come to these days, finding ourselves looking at at old friends, things and practices that we do well, and some old familiar foes as well, things that we don't do particularly well. And that's true not just at a personal level, it's true at a corporate level as well. We, we as a church body have dispositions and character that make us what we are. Some things we do really well, and some things as a corporate body we don't do quite as well as others. We aren't necessarily struggling corporately because of rebellion, in fact, As we look at a particular area this morning, I I, I know that many of you are wanting to do better. You're you're wanting to grow and you're wanting to mature and expand in this area. Sometimes, frankly, the the weaknesses that we have are are something of an outgrowth of the strengths that we have because because we're doing so well in these particular areas, the other areas just kind of get overlooked and, and passed by and not practiced as consistently. They They gain a secondary status as it were. This morning, we're speaking about evangelism, both personal evangelism and and corporate evangelism. As we think about evangelism, what are we talking about? We're talking about speaking the truth about Christ's death and resurrection to free men from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin with the intent to persuade sinners to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. It's an intentional conversation that, that has as its end point a decision that someone makes to follow after Jesus Christ. In evangelism, we have one message, Jesus Christ. But that one message is a message that the world rejects. They scoff at Jesus Christ, they mock Him, they hate Him. And they persecute many of those who believe in Jesus Christ. So, so why preach the gospel? Why continue to talk about Jesus Christ as the crucified King and Savior? If, if the world rejects and the world hates, shouldn't we find something that, that has a, a greater chance at an inroad? Something that they will like, something that will appeal to them. We preach Jesus Christ because there is only one true message that will save people and there is only one true message that will transform people. That's Paul's message in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Christ crucified is the only true and effective gospel. There is no other gospel. There is nothing else that will change an individual's life. There is is nothing else that will lead him to life There is nothing else that will be beneficial to him either now or eternally in the sense that he stands before God. 
As we think about evangelism and Grace Bible Church in 2019, we don't need more guilt for our failures and we don't need more motivation to talk. We need to be convinced of the power and effectiveness of the gospel. And that is what is in the passage before us. And as we look at this passage and as we consider what Paul has to say in it, we will find five truths about the foolish cross. Five truths about the foolish cross. The first truth is given to us at the beginning of verse 18, and that is this, that the gospel is a message of the cross. The gospel is a message of the cross. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness. Now, when he starts by saying for, he is connecting to the previous verse and he's giving a reason for something that he said in the previous verse. Well, what did he say in verse 17? He says, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, not in fancy tongue, not in fancy oration, but just to simply declare with boldness, the gospel about Jesus Christ. Why? So that the cross of Christ would not be made void. I I don't want the cross of Christ to be considered to be empty and worthless, void, vain. Why? Verse 18. For, because the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is this word of the cross? What is this this message of the cross that Paul talks about? What, What was the cross? The cross was a terrific, horrible means of death. The victim suffered incredible thirst when he was suffering on the cross. He was physically exhausted and and ultimately ended up suffocating um, by by not being able to breathe. And 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 a um, a criminal would sometimes be on that cross not just for hours as Christ was, but but for days attempting to push himself up so he could catch his breath and then sinking back down and and the weight of his body crushing against his lungs and and, and vainly gasping for breath and, and finding the flesh on his skin tearing away. Beyond that, it was degrading and it was abhorrent. And the spiritual suffering that Jesus experienced was all the more so he says in Matthew 27:46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For everything else that the cross was physically, for Jesus Christ, it was even more abhorrent spiritually. This cross is the core of what we preach. The instrument of salvation is a tool of death. Sin is deadly. And it took the death and resurrection of a perfect human sacrifice to atone for our sin. And it's because of that that Luther said, the cross is God's no to all vain attempts of humanity to merit God's favor. It took the cross to merit the favor of God for sinners. The cross also emphasizes the shame involved with our salvation. The cross, one writer says, cuts to the heart of self-centeredness. 
It is the message of self-renunciation. It took the selfishness of Jesus Christ to produce salvation. So that Jesus Christ says in, in, Ma, in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And how did He serve? To give His life a ransom for many. It is self-renunciation by Jesus Christ. And it takes self-renunciation of the believer to embrace Christ and receive salvation as His gift. Says Michael Reeves in his outstanding book, Rejoicing in Christ. It is in that very moment when he is made most physically appalling that he becomes most dear to us. Speaking about Christ. Christ was never more lovely to his church than when he was most deformed for his church, wrote Richard Sibbs. Reliance on ourselves is no option in light of the cross. However fantastically marvelous we may think we are, the cross is God's verdict on us as sinners. It annihilates even the possibility of finally placing our trust in ourselves, meaning we can know a far greater assurance anchoring it in firm ground outside of ourselves in Christ. Christians are people who have given up all claims to both our badness and our goodness, and instead gotten Him. This is, this is the cross. And it is the singular thing that we preach. Sometimes we don't preach the gospel simply because we don't have a clear understanding of it ourselves. So, so as we think about the cross, what is the message of the cross? What is the gospel message of the cross? When, when we think about the cross, what are we communicating to those who need to hear about the cross? I, I simplify the gospel into six words. Grace. That, that the gospel is a free gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It must be a free gift from God because of who man is. That is, man is a sinner. His life is stained by sin and permeated with sin so that there is nothing good that is within him that can produce or merit salvation. We are incapable of saving ourselves. And isn't that what all of Romans chapters 1 to 3 are about? Remember, way back like three years ago when we were in Romans chapter 1? That's what that's all about, that man cannot save himself. God is loving and God is merciful and He loves even the righteous. So, So Jesus says about God in Matthew chapter 5, He says in verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You want to be like God? Then then love those who are evil because that's what God is like. And He demonstrates His love towards those who are evil even even in common grace things. He, He gives them the sun and the rain just as He gives to righteous people. So God is a a God of love, and yet God also is a God of wrath who will pour out His judgment on unrepentant sinners. Just, Just listen as I read from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 20. 
I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, verse 2, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, and from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. My friends, that is part of the gospel message that unrepentant sinners will be cast into hell. It is part of what we proclaim. The fourth word of the cross is Jesus Christ. He is the infinite God who laid aside the privileges of heaven and assumed manhood so that he might die in the place of sinners and free them from the penalty and the power of sin. Romans chapter 3 verse 25 speaking about Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for the demonstration he says I say of his of his righteousness at the present time so that he, God, would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. God publicly displayed Jesus Christ as a propitiation so that when we trust in him, we will have life and and faith. And that is the fifth word, faith. Um, grace, man, God, Christ, faith, believing in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Faith simply says, I can't save myself, God must. Again, Romans chapter 3, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It is nothing that any man does, it is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's the gospel. But there's one more word, and it is the word hope. It is the object of the gospel that we give attention to with the word hope. That is, that the object of the gospel is God. Jesus Christ died to get us to God, to renew our fellowship with Him so that we might eternally enjoy Him. Do you remember what Jesus says in John chapter 14? John chapter 14, verse 3, He says, I go to prepare a place for you, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Christ died to get us to God. That the gospel focus is not just the the washing away of sin. The gospel focus is the washing away of sin so that we can get 
God, to be in fellowship with Him. Well, that's the gospel. Grace, man, God, Christ, faith, hope. Our sin, if we want to summarize all of these truths, our sin is imputed to Jesus Christ and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us so that we can enjoy God forever. What we're talking about here is the single word substitution. Christ gets my sin and I get Christ's righteousness so that I can enjoy God. That's what the gospel is. And it's all rooted in the cross. None of it happens without the cross. The gospel is a message of the cross. But because it is a message of the cross, don't assume that it is a weak message. The gospel of the cross is powerful. This is what we find in verses 18 and 19. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. There, there are Two kinds of people in this world, the Apostle Paul says, there are those who are perishing. Notice this is not people who will die, but Paul is speaking about people who are already in the process of dying. They are, as it were, living dead men. These are people like Paul speaks about in Romans chapter 1 who are already under the judgment of God. And these these dying people... Paul says, consider the cross to be foolishness. They consider it to be moronic. Remember when Jesus Christ was on the cross and and people were walking by, we see how foolish they considered the cross to be by the way they responded to him as he was on the cross. Some were passing by, Matthew 27, 39, some were passing by, were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He he is the King of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Mocking. Foolishness. It's folly. Why why would anyone go to the cross? Why would anyone embrace the cross? And, And lest we think it's just the chief priests and scribes, remember what Peter said in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus Christ said that he had to go to the cross. Peter said to Jesus, God forbid it, Lord, This will never happen to you. Even Peter says the cross. It's folly. It's fool. Why would anyone embrace the cross when it is a place of death? Who wants to die? To those who are dying, the cross is offensive, foolish, vanity, and to be avoided. But the message of the cross, contrary to the world's thinking, verse 18, is the power of God. But it is the power of God only to those who are being saved. There is, there is a second kind of person in the world. It is the kind of person 
who is in the process of being saved. They have been declared righteous already. They are in the process of being sanctified and they are looking forward to that time when they will be fully glorified with Jesus Christ. And, and Paul's point is everyone is in one of these two camps. You are, you are either in the camp of the dying or you are in the camp of the living and there is no place in between. You, you must be in one of those two categories. There are no other options. And Paul says that this salvation is about God's power to save and man's inability to save himself. It is to those of us, the cross is to those of us who are being saved, the power of God. And now in verse 19, to to make his point, Paul looks back to, to Isaiah chapter 29 and quotes from Isaiah 29 says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. In Isaiah chapter 29, Judah is being threatened by Assyria and King Sennacherib. And, and the Lord told Israel not to worry, that Sennacherib would not succeed, but, and, but that it would not be because of Judah's wisdom that, that, that Sennacherib would be defeated. It would not be because of Judah's power that, that, that uh, Sennacherib would be defeated, but it would be through the one angel of the Lord. It would be through through the singular hand of God. In Isaiah chapter 37, we have the account of what happened to Sennacherib. One angel shows up and in one night kills 185,000 Assyrians. It is God's point to the Israelites, you are saved not by your might, not by your wisdom, not by your power. You are saved by me. And Paul recounts that from Isaiah chapter 29. And when he considers the cross, he appeals to Isaiah 29 and reminds us that we are are saved not by our might, not by our wisdom. We are saved by God and Him alone at the cross. And if if anyone thinks himself to be wise... Or clever, he says at the end of verse 19, I will set him aside. God will set him aside. If, if someone thinks him to be, thinks himself to be wise and clever, I, I don't need anyone else to stand for me before God. I can stand on my own before God. He says he'll be set, set aside. That is, he'll be made low. He will be disregarded. He will be made void. He will be rejected. There is, in a word, no hope for the self-reliant man. Those who are dying are self-reliant and they believe that they are self-sufficient and they are dying. Says one writer, I am persuaded that all of our problems are conceived and born in sinful belief, embedded deep within that something or someone other than Jesus Christ can quench the thirst of our souls. Each of us by nature is determined to make life work without Christ. We are committed to independence at any cost. And that is exactly where we must take the gospel. We must, we must take the gospel in its power and in its authority and help those who think themselves powerful to see that they are weak 
and that they are dependent on Him. The power of the cross is not just that sinners are declared righteous. The power of the cross is that, sinner, that sinners are actually changed, that, that sinners are actually transformed. This is the message that we, we take to people. The cross is powerful enough to change you from what you are today into something that you can be only in Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians in chapter 6 about those who don't inherit the kingdom of God, those, those who are on on the outside, those who are dying. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You can't be that kind of person and get into the kingdom. Verse 11, Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. That, that is what you were, but you have been changed and you have been transformed. And what has changed and what has transformed them but the folly of the cross alone. The cross is powerful to change. Only the cross is powerful to change. And friends, I dare say that our dalliances with sin reveal that we really don't believe in the gospel's power. We really don't believe that the gospel can change us and can change sinners. The gospel is a message of the cross. And the gospel of the cross is powerful. The gospel of the cross also, verses 20 to 25, is wise. Notice what he says in verse 20. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? And so Paul is looking out and he says, where's the wise man? And he breaks the category of wise men into two categories. Where's the scribe? Where's, Where's the Jewish religious leader? Where's the Jewish interpreter of the law? Where's he in all of his wisdom? Or where is the debater of this age? That is, where where is the Gentile scholar? Where is the Gentile orator? Where is his wisdom and, and what has his wisdom produced? Where, where are they flourishing? Where have they overcome God's wisdom? Paul says, verse 20, Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The world hasn't understood the, the power of importance of the cross and God has already put them down and eradicated their power from them. Verse 21, since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. The the world says, oh, I'm wise. I don't need God. I don't need Christ. I don't need the cross. Contrary, verse 21, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God was well pleased to save people through the cross. What what the world rejects, what the world abhors, God embraces and delights in. Remember Philipp, uh, remember Colossians chapter 1? Colossians 1 verse 19, speaking about Jesus Christ, it says, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all of the fullness to dwell in Him. God was pleased for all of the fullness of the Godhead to reside in Jesus Christ. And, so he's continuing this idea of what God is pleased with, and 
through Him, through Christ, to reconcile all things to Himself. How did He reconcile? Having made peace through the blood of the cross. God was pleased to reconcile sinners through the cross. The world hates the cross. God is pleased with the cross. The Father loved the cross because by the cross sin is vanquished and Christ is made victorious. That's not the way the world thinks about it, is it? Verse 22, indeed, Jews ask for signs. Greeks search for wisdom. Jews, Jews only wanted signs. They, they wanted demonstrations of the Messiahship of Jesus. They wanted, they wanted to be fed. They wanted to have miracles. They, they wanted to have their illnesses removed. They just didn't want the Messiah. Give us a sign. Do a magic trick. But, but, but don't make us submit to you. We just want signs. The Greeks wanted wisdom. They wanted a clever idea to, to stimulate their mind and their intellect. This is, this is um, Acts chapter 17, Paul at Mars Hill, right? They, 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 they just want to hear somebody who will stimulate their thinking and intrigue them, but they don't want someone they'll have to submit to and follow. The Greeks and the Jews want what our culture wants. They and we want God in their own image, God on their terms, God on their time. They wanted a, a tame, manageable, grandfatherly, benevolent, unimposing, undemanding, mostly feeble God. We don't want God in His power. We don't want God in our wisdom. And in the Corinthian church, there were some there who were no different we're not really about Jesus Christ. We're not really about, about the gospel. We're not really about the cross. But, but I want to be about Paul, verse 12. I want to be about Apollos. I want, I want to be about Cephas. I just, want, I just want to do my thing my way. I want to be acceptable to God my way. Paul says about the Greeks, verse 22, they, they're searching, but, but they're not searching for God, are they? They're searching for a truth that conforms to their concept of God which shall inevitably produce a repugnance to the gospel. They want a gospel of self. They want something that glorifies self and makes, an, makes themselves the object of worship. What gospel... What gospel will we give to people like that? Will we tell them something that appeals to them? If we tell them the gospel that appeals to them, we will never get to Jesus Christ and we'll never get to the cross. Or will we stand for the truth and speak about a crucified Christ? What the world needs today is not more of the world from the church. What the world needs is a crucified and risen Savior. Nothing else. So Paul says, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. Said R.A. Torrey a century ago almost, preach any Christ but a crucified Christ and you will not draw men for long. Preach any gospel but a gospel of atoning blood and it will not draw for long. 
Preach a loving Christ who is soft on sin and you will not reach men. Preach a murdered and pitiful Christ and you will not reach men. Preach a gentle and friendly Christ who is incompetent and you will not reach men. Preach a great teacher Jesus Christ who is not authoritative and not demanding and you will not reach men. Preach a miracle working, prayer granting Jesus Christ who, who exists only to fulfill and satisfy our lustful desires and you will not reach men. Preach any Christ but a crucified Christ and you will not reach men for long. But preach a crucified Christ and you will reach men. The message of the cross is repugnant. Why? Because it is the message itself. Notice what he says in verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. Remember the The word Christ is not a name. His name is Jesus. His title is Christ. It's a word for the Messiah. And as the Messiah, He is the Anointed One. As the Messiah, He is is the King. He is authoritative. He is as the Son of Man ruling on His throne. So if you take that title, Messiah, Christ, and, and put it with the verb that, that he uses here, crucified, we might paraphrase it this way. We preach the humiliation, defeat, and crucifixion of the very one who embodies power and splendor and triumph. <laughs> that, friends, is a stumbling block to the Jew, which is exactly what Paul says. Verse 23. That will cause them to stumble. That that will cause them to say, that is an impediment to me. How can a Messiah be crucified? How can the Messiah die? How can the Messiah be cursed on the cross? To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. I, I can't get past the Messiah who's on a cross. To the Gentile, it's just foolishness. It's foolishness. It, it is moronic thought. We, we, we have little concept to how deeply the cross was disdained. Even culturally, you look all over the place and you see crosses, right? We, we, we went into a jewelry store to buy a, a gift for one of the girls um, last month and, and we're looking around and, and, and looking for a particular bracelet for her. And you, and you walk around the store and there's, there's crosses everywhere, secular jewelry shop. All kinds of crosses, all kinds of shapes and embellished with all kinds of design and and different kinds of stones put on them. They're attractive. Listen, friend, in first century Rome, there was nothing attractive about the cross. It was disdained. It was shameful. It was moronic folly to think there was anything good in the cross. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's God's power. It's God's God's wisdom because God's foolishness and God's weakness is, is greater than anything that the world has to offer. His ways are always higher than our ways. We have no wisdom, my friends, to impart except the folly of the cross. 
And as you're talking to those who are unbelievers, they need to go to the cross. Is it shameful? Yes. Is it folly? Sure, to the world it is. It is only the cross that is powerful and wise to save them. There's another aspect of the cross, the gospel of the cross that the apostle points us to in verses 26 to 29, and it is that it is man-humbling. What does the cross do? What does the cross do to us? Verse 26, he says, Consider your calling. Uh, Literally, see your calling. Look at your calling. It's to go back and remember, what were you before Christ? And how did you come to know Christ? Who initiated your salvation? Who, Who brought you to the completion of your salvation? And Paul says, as you consider your calling, as you consider what you were before Christ, how you were called into and brought into salvation. Notice what he says in verse 26. There were not many wise according to the flesh, were there? There were not many mighty. There were not many noble. None of you were very impressive. That's Paul's way of saying, y'all ain't looking so good. There's nothing inherent in man that either attracts or repels God. His, his choice is His choice always apart from anything in us. It is always His grace and always His doing alone. Notice verse 27, but God. Don't you love that phrase? But God. But, but, but into this mess of our humanity, God interjected and intervened with Himself And God, he says, verse 27, has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has has taken folly to shame and humiliate and disgrace the things that that are perceived to be wise by the world. And, And God has taken the weak things and the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised and the things that are not, verse 28, so that he might nullify the things that are. So he's taken those things that the world says, well, that's weak, that's shameful, that's despised, and nullified the things that the world considers to be all those things. He's nullified them. He's, he's reduced them to nothing and rendered them inoperative. And, and why, why, why does God say, I want you to be low. I, I want you to be pushed down. I, I, want, I want you to consider that there's nothing good in you to save yourself. So that, verse 29, that's the purpose. This is why This is why God operates the way He does through the cross, so that no man may boast before God. Consider and see and understand your salvation so that there is no human boasting. That old hymn, At the Cross is Right, Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? I am am base and simple and there is nothing in me that can save myself. I 
will not boast. The cross is the very means that God uses to root out our pride and our self-sufficiency and self-reliance by placing ourselves in a situation where we cannot trust ourselves but must trust in someone who has demonstrated his supremacy by going to the cross and defeating death. I must trust in someone apart from myself. Says the old theologian Charles Hodge, the things which elevate man in the world, knowledge, influence, rank, are not the things which lead to God and salvation. Says another commentator, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Not a single thing that any of us possesses will ever advantage him or her before the living God. Not brilliance, not clout, not achievement, not money, not prestige. By choosing the lowly Corinthians, God declared that he has forever ruled out every imaginable system of gaining his favor. It is all. Trust him completely or nothing. That is the message of the cross. It is to keep us from boasting. As, as the Apostle John said, or excuse me, as, as John the Baptist said in John chapter 3, He must increase, I must decrease. The gospel of the cross is man humbling. And that is essential for those who are sinners to understand that that is the message we take them and that is essential for us to understand to have evangelistic boldness. You want to be bold with the gospel, then be bold with this truth. The man is humble. Man has nothing to boast before God about. One last truth about the gospel of Christ and the gospel of the cross, and that is it is God glorifying. Notice verse 30. But by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. It is, it is by His doing. If, if it was Terry's doing, I would never pursue God. If it was Terry's doing, I would never pursue righteousness. If it was Terry's doing, I would never be in Christ. And even if I decided that I did want to pursue Christ, I could never get Him and I could never get into Him. Instead, God has done what we could never do. And notice He says, He has placed us in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, that's the wisdom of God. By His doing, you're in Christ Jesus, who, Christ, became to us wisdom from God. And He became to us righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Through Jesus Christ, we have received imputed righteousness. Through Jesus Christ, we are being progressively sanctified. And through Jesus Christ, we have the confidence of ultimate redemption. Interestingly, that's the very place that we're going to go next in Romans chapter 8. Those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He justified. Those whom He justified, He also glorified. Beginning to end, salvation is all about God and what He has done to place us in Jesus Christ. And all of this, verse 31, is to make us boast in the Lord. Only God is preeminent. 
God is always first. And the temptation of the flesh is always to push God off his throne so that, so that we might sit on God's throne. But the gospel is about the priority of God. Even when God is in the person of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross, the gospel is about God's priority. Says D.I. Carson, everything that we know and appreciate and praise for God in all of the Christian experience, both in this life and in the life to come, springs from this bloody cross. And friends, that's, that's what we have to tell people. And in 2019, we, we need to be confident that this gospel is powerful and wise to change people and, and believing that it's powerful and wise to change people, we proclaim it. Now maybe that you're here this morning and, and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And this gospel is for you. It is powerful to work in your life. It is, it is wise to work in your life to change you so that you're like Jesus Christ. And if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I compel you on the authority of the Word of God. You must believe in Christ alone and embrace this cross as your only hope. We are sometimes hesitant to speak the gospel because we believe it is out of date, because we believe it is weak, because we believe it is inadequate. We need to be convinced of its relevance and power and wisdom. That, that, that's Paul's message in this passage. In 1838, Robert Murray McShane preached a sermon entitled, God Let None of His Words Fall to the Ground. And he demonstrates in that sermon the power and authority of God's Word with this story. Murray's, uh, McShane's words. The excellent John Flavel was a minister of Dartmouth, Eng- of Dartmouth in England. One day he preached from these words, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. 1 Corinthians 16. The discourse was unusually solemn, particularly the explanation of the curse. At the conclusion, when Mr. Flavel rose to announce the blessing, he paused and said, How shall I bless this whole assembly when every person in it who loves not the Lord Jesus is anathema? The solemnity of this address deeply affected the audience. In the congregation was a lad named Luke Short, about 15 years old, a native of Dartmouth. Shortly afterwards, he went to sea, sailed to America, where he passed the rest of his life. His life was lengthened far beyond the usual term. When a hundred years old, he was able still to work on his farm and his mind was not at all impaired. He had lived all this time in carelessness and sin. He was a sinner a hundred years old and ready to die accursed. One day as he sat in his field, he busied himself reflecting on his past life. He thought of the days of his youth and his memory fixed on Mr. Flavel's sermon, a considerable part of which he remembered. The earnestness of the minister, the truth spoken, the effect on the people, all came fresh to his mind. He felt that he had not loved the Lord Jesus. He feared dreadful anathema. He was deeply convinced of sin and he was brought to the blood of sprinkling. And he lived 
to his 106th year, giving every evidence of being born again. My friends, this is the power of the gospel. It is this and this alone that we proclaim. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and we thank you for the cross and we thank you for its effectiveness and sufficiency, its power, its wisdom. It's weak and foolish to the world. It is powerful and wise to those of us who are being saved. Oh, Father, might we be bold and confident in this gospel of the cross which you have commanded us to preach. And might we preach it with effectiveness this year. We pray in the name of Christ and for the glory of Christ. Amen.